Hi there, Carling here. Whether this is your first episode of this podcast you're listening to, or you're working backwards from the more recent ones, these earliest episodes require a bit of patience, humor, and understanding. These episodes are a time machine back to when I had no idea what I was doing in editing, sound quality, or production. And there were two hosts. We were full of passion, laughter, and a whole lot of trial and error. But here's the thing. These episodes are the essence of my humble beginnings, and I'm hoping that's part of the charm. The raw authenticity that shaped the foundation of this podcast. Although this podcast has evolved and my interview skills and audio quality have vastly improved, the heart and soul of these episodes remain timeless. The stories I shared back then, they still hold significance and are worth hearing. These episodes make me appreciate how far I've come, so... Thank you in advance for your patience and enjoy. Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay and I'm joined by my co-host and real life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a lighthearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a diehard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. We don't feel safe working with this guy. We don't know what's going on with him. Oh, bonjour. <laughs> don't know. No, I don't we're know. We're not sure. Hello. <gasps> oh, God. Oh, Carling, stay on the spell. chair. God. What is happening? This well, is very chaotic. I am 37 now, so. I mean, you need to be careful. You are decrepit. I feel it in my fingers. I mean, how many nosebleeds did you have at 36 compared to 37? <laughs> oh, my Right? God. Like, that's, that's. This week, this, in the last, I would, don't even say week, in the I'm last concerned. 72 hours, I've probably had six nosebleeds. Like, what is happening? I think what it is, is, thank you for your concern, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a heater going in my kitchen, so because I'm working remotely, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we didn't know when we bought the house, but whoever put the extension on our kitchen didn't insulate it properly yeah and so in the winter it's freezing and that's my only workspace so i have a heater running but i think it's just like drying everything out and our nose holes my nose holes especially yikes and so um i mean last week it was a heart attack and this week it's nosebleeds i mean what's it gonna be next week you're gonna be dead (laughs) is that the plan calling in from the grave <laughs> please don't um yeah i don't know i guess this is 37 yeah, nosebleeds well, this is what it looks like <laughs> <laughs> yeah la last night what? yesterday it was my birthday happy birthday to you and i was so spoiled by all my friends mm-hmm. including you mm-hmm. i had people i mean we're in we're not in lockdown but we're uh like not seeing people in person yes. except for you guys. Yeah. Um, but my best friend Rachel brought over like a little meat and cheese tray and homemade pickles mm. and a 12 pack of Splash, which is my favorite vodka drink. Did you drink all of those last night? No, I only drank two because I lost so much blood oh, in God. my nosebleed. I felt dizzy. I was like, I'm pretty sure alcohol is blood thinner. 
Um, and then my friend Ashley stopped by for and brought me Starbucks, and her uh-huh. wife Krista uh-huh. brought me Starbucks and a balloons. And a balloon. I know. I said a balloon. It was two. There was two <laughs> balloons. And then my mom came by and she brought me an advent calendar for Christmas. And, um And a gift. Is it a chocolate one? Yeah. Or is it like socks or something? No. There's so many different advent calendars I want the now. cheese one. Oh, yeah. There's so many different ones. They're, it's crazy. Yeah. I want one. I'll get you one. I want to open something every day to fulfill my life. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I just felt really special. And then last night, um, Rachel organized like a little mini drinks and games over Zoom. Mm -hmm. And you popped in for a little bit after your kiddos were in bed. I did, yeah. And it was really fun. It was fun. Uh, Not to sound as pathetic as humanly possible, but that was like my first ever Zoom like with friends. Oh. <laughs> Nobody's ever invited me to Zoom. Oh, I'll Zoom with you all the time. <laughs> you know, the only person I Zoomed with was my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that should be on a mug or a t-shirt. That's how sad. I know, hey? Wow. Oh my gosh. Merch idea. Merch, t-shirt. The okay. only person I Zoom with is my therapist. Yeah. There you go. Um, oh, <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad you came. I am too. And we played Jackbox, which yeah. is like an online game, so it was really fun. I know, it's so crazy that you can do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Technology. My god, what a time to My be alive. My goodness. But I did feel if anybody's on our Patreon and listened to my birthday episode, I just have this like close to my birthday I start feeling bad that people might want to acknowledge me or do anything for me and it's really hard for me to accept anyone that hangs out with curling or gives her a gift or is, is doing it out of spite on her birthday or somebody's paying them I don't know oh I don't know how it works but the whole time we were on zoom like we had a hard time getting the game started and then the whole time I was like oh my god like they're probably all thinking of all the things they could be doing well we did all here. have like a side chat you where probably... we talked about how terrible it was <laughs> And how we were just doing it because we felt bad for you. Yes, or you needed the money that somebody was paying you. It's true, yeah. And then just as we were getting the game loaded, my nose started gushing Mm. blood. And so then I was in the bathroom, literally head over sink. It didn't even make sense to have Kleenex, which is gross, TMI. Trigger warning, talk of blood. So gross. Um, And then I was like, Lindy, just start without me. Just start without me. (laughs) And so Lindy and all of our friends were just playing games for my birthday. And I was... This is what you get when you try to plan something for your birthday. You can't have everyone show up and nothing go wrong. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right? Um, no, it was fun. And I'm glad I'm glad I was included. Yeah. And then we're today's Saturday. Tonight we're having drinks and games with Devin and Pete. Fun. Yeah. I know. It's going to be really fun. Um, and they called me yesterday morning for my birthday And their kiddo, Huxley, played Happy Birthday by guitar. Aw, that's so sweet. And they're, I think they're eight now. Seven or eight? Yeah, I think eight, Um, yeah. And honestly, it was the cutest thing I've ever seen. It was really sweet. That is very nice. Is your eye okay? No. (laughs) I just watched you stick your whole finger in it and rub it around. You know, I think I might have what Jana had. Oh, God. You need a cornea transplant. (laughs) Stat. I have a smudge on my contact or something, and it's bothering me. Like, do you need to wash it? Probably. Or I need to switch out my contacts or something. How long do you wear contacts for? Like, how like long a month. Do you pay- and how do you know when it's time to change them? 
Well, I mean, you're supposed to change them once a month, but I usually forget. And then something like this happens and I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) My God, just do it on the first of every month. Yeah, you know, that's such a great idea, Carling. (laughs) Why haven't I thought of that? I don't have anything going on in my life where I could just remember that. No problem. I'm going to set something in my calendar to be like, good morning, Michelle. Change your contacts. Yeah. Well, I wanted to do the daily ones uh, because those are easy. You just check them out at the end of the night and then, but they're really expensive. And and that also doesn't sound environmentally friendly. I mean, they're so tiny. Like how many eyeballs are on this planet? I guess, I guess you're correct. But also because my uh, eyesight is like basically of a blind person, uh, they didn't really work for my eyes. So it's fine. And glasses work, but you just don't like wearing them? Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of glasses because, um, you know, when you look up or down or right. side to side, like it's not a fully on your eyeball. <laughs> She'll get you, I want to get you goggles that like yeah. stick to your face and all the way around is lens uh-huh. so that no matter where you looked. Yeah. The, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> the other thing with my glasses that is that because my eyesight is so bad, if I don't get the lenses like shaved down basically, like they make them thinner. They're Coke bottle glasses. <laughs> so a pair of glasses for me is like over $800. <gasps> yeah. It's really expensive to have no eyesight. That's wild. I know. It's not fun. Would you get LASIK surgery? Yes. And I looked into it and I would have done it. But then I thought I'm going to have to lay in a chair while someone does something to my eyeball. And the thought of it like, I couldn't. I know, but then you wouldn't need glasses. Or... I know. Well, you would still need glasses at night. A lot of people still need them for, like, night driving and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I mean, to be able to wake up and see, Yeah. I don't even know what that would be like. That would be incredible. Like, yeah. Um, so maybe I'll look into it. But, again, I have astigmatism in both eyes. Um, my eyesight, you can't have your eyesight change um, for, like, a consistent amount of time. Oh, yeah. I think like a couple years, and mine has changed recently, so right. it would be a long time before I was able to do it. Wow. I'd hold your hand. Oh, thanks. I'd hold your eyes open. Would you, like, spray something so that I wouldn't smell my eyeballs burning? Like a nice, like... Is that a thing? Do you smell your... I Listen, think so. Listen, if you've had LASIK eye surgery, please join our Facebook group and tell me specifically, does it smell like eyeballs burning? And what does that smell like? Because eyeballs are wet. Yeah. So they, burning Would they wet. steam? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm driving my sister to the hospital on Monday. She's having an, a surgery for her eye. And it's because she has a lazy eye and it's going to correct mm. it. Oh, wow. I don't know, man. Anything with eyes freaks I mean, me out super hard. Flashback to to Jana's episode. Yeah. And she had to watch her cornea get sewn on. Oh. Yeah. Like, I've worn contacts since I was 10. Yeah. Um, I have had some kind of nightmare things happen with my contacts. Like, they've either r- ripped apart in like on my eyeball or they've gone behind my eyeball and I've had to, like, Gross. fish them no. out. Back in my idiot days, I would, like, sleep with them on oh or, like, accidentally fall asleep. And then when you take it off, it's like you're peeling off a layer <gasps> of your eyeball because <laughs> they're stuck. Oh, my God. But knock on wood, I haven't had any issues in many years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How else is your week going? Um, Good. 
I worked this week and I had a few days off, so I was able. One day I was like insanely productive. Yeah. I got a million things done. I ran a bunch of errands. I like did so many things. And then the next day my stomach was really upset and oh. I was like basically in bed until almost three o'clock. Your tum tums. I know. And I think it's like a stress stress belly yeah. or something. But yeah. but yeah, and then I mean I was able to kind of get my crap together and, and be a little productive and do a few things, but um, I'm on day 21 of my running for the month. That's so bonkers. Are you trying to do like 31 days? I'm trying to do, well, there's only 30 days in November, but, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I'm trying to run every day of November. So, so far I have run 20 days in a row and today will be my 21st. Wow. And I also dyed my hair purple. Um, it looks so good. Thank you. It's only the bottom, but I love it. It's oh, only... It. It's just that overtone stuff, so it'll wash out in a little while, but it yeah. doesn't damage your hair at all. So Yeah. No, it looks really, really good. Thanks. And we just had a little thing that we did today. We did. And it's going to be secret. top secret for a holiday that's coming up. Oh, what could that be? Well, I guess for American friends, they might be thinking it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, no. Isn't it Thanksgiving soon? Or soon. I think it? this week is Thanksgiving, like this Thursday. Well, happy Thanksgiving to happy our Thanksgiving. American friends. What else? What else um, was I going to tell you? Well, I had my laundry done and dropped off at my yeah. house. Was it good? It was amazing. It was way more expensive than we thought it would be. I mean, it was, but I also like paid for bags so that for the next time it'll be easier oh. and, and things like that. So yeah. honestly, it was worth it. I had a ton of laundry, so it was kind of good to do this and like get it all caught up. So yeah. then going forward... It'll be less. Yeah. But um, it's a company called State Laundry out of Calgary. And she does such a good job. And all my clothes smell so delicious. And I just, like, took it all out of the bags and piled it up for the kids to put away. And it was amazing. So. How much extra for her to come in your house and put it away? I know, right? Because that is the hardest part is getting it all away again. But. Oh, my clean laundry just sits in my hamper. Yeah. Or it rotates between my bed because I'm going to put it away, but then mm-hmm. I it's bedtime and I'm too tired, so I put it back in the hamper. Yeah. Yeah. Like four or five times. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The only thing, though, which I thought was so funny, uh, she was like, um, just curious, are the clothes inside out because you want me to wash them that way? And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, no, actually, we just suck at doing laundry and uh, we just take our clothes off and then throw them in the basket. I was like, but this weekend I'm having a meeting with all the kids to tell them that their clothes need to be right side up. Yeah. You can't have underwear stuck in your pants. And, yeah. um, you know, don't put things in the laundry if you haven't, if you only worn them for yeah. an hour or whatever. Yeah. So, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then tomorrow we're going to put up your Christmas tree. Yeah. Super early for me, actually. Do you want to wait? No, I think it'll be good. I think everyone's kind of doing it earlier this year because yeah. everything sucks. So, yeah. yeah. A little what extra serotonin do? and... Get some pictures out of it. I did actually uh, buy all the kids matching PJs, so I thought that we could. Aww. They don't know yet. And when I was at the grocery store this morning, I decided that I want to make like a little platter. Yeah. Like Christmas themed candy and goodies platter so that we can have it while we're putting up the tree. So That's I got a few. adorable. I got a few different kind of Christmas themed things. Wow. Uh, today's interview, I'm so excited. Yes. It's Chris. Yes. Christopher. Christopher. And he is a local Albertan um, who's really 
who's really advocating for men's mental health. Yes. Especially in industries where men's mental health is maybe, uh, like, ignored or not talked about. Yes. And, like, that is something that we are really passionate about. Absolutely. And, I mean, mental health, period, Mm -hmm. but men's mental health. And I think there's such a stigma, Mm -hmm. you know, there is such a stigma around men not showing their emotions, men not crying, Um, you know, being tough, having balls, like all that stuff. And I just think like, (laughs) I know God, um, um, no, he is a huge advocate. He has been in, uh, a few articles. He was, uh, on Bell Let's Talk. He was in a documentary that we talked about. And it's really refreshing to see that there are people taking action and advocating for change. Absolutely. Because, yeah, like men's mental health, I think, just is always on the back burner. Uh-huh. Or, yep. um, it was such a society. I don't know why. Like, where did that come from, I wonder? Well, I mean, all throughout history, it's been a very, like, heteronormative, you know, men go out and they they go to war. And yeah. they gather the food and they do the work and then they're the protectors. And, I mean, that's always been, like the theme but anyway let's get to it um here is your interview with chris yay Bye. hello chris hi how's it going good how are you i'm great good that's awesome happy sunday yeah oh yes early mornings on sundays that seems to be when i get like roped into doing podcasts which i'm fine with (laughs) Yeah, because we all have like normal jobs too, right? That we ha- we have to go to. So exactly, it's kind of when we do the the fun stuff. Yeah, when we were in lockdown, we would do like a, like a Wednesday mid afternoon. Yeah, and I was like, this is glorious. <laughs> now we're sort of like scrambling to fit everything in with everyday life. Now that things are a bit back to normal. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've been lucky. The last podcast I did was here in Sherwood Park, and then. You guys are in my house. I'm doing this online. So it's yeah. been nice. I haven't had to travel for these podcasts. Good. Perfect. That's awesome. And we purposely don't do video because we are most often in our pajamas. That's <laughs> well, 11 o'clock on a Sunday. I don't blame you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, we found you on Instagram and we were super inspired by your story and your journey and your openness. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's something that we've actually really been looking for is sort of, um, you know, somebody who identifies as male and who is open to talking about mental health. Um, that's been, you know, on our sort of bucket list of people to interview. Mm-hmm. Um, because well, it's I'm, so I'm glad I can help you check that off. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Um, so why don't, why don't we just start with you introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about who Chris and CJ Beats is and, and kind of get into it. Uh, sure. My name's Chris Johnson. Um, all of my social medias go under CJ Beats Bipolar. Um, I have been a crane operator in Alberta for the last 15 years. And the last four of them, I've been advocating for men's mental health um, and just more open conversation about it in uh, traditionally masculine industries, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I've been featured in a BuzzFeed article called uh, Oil, Heartbreak and Manhood behind the mental health crisis in Alberta's oil sands. Uh, in 2019, I was an official friend of Bell Let's Talk. So I was on all the billboards, uh, oh, commercials wow. on Hockey Night in Canada and stuff. 
as well. Um, I was featured in 2019 in a documentary on CBC Gem called Digging in the Dirt. And what was that about? Um, it was based, it was on men's mental health in the, uh, in traditionally male industries focused mostly on the oil and gas industry. Um, there was myself and four other gentlemen that kind of got interviewed and featured in it that all come from mental health backstories, uh, and working in the oil or in oil and gas, I guess. Um, my background personally with mental health is that I have bipolar disorder. Wow. And how long have you been diagnosed with that? 10, 11 years now, I guess. Wow. And was it something that uh, is kind of in your family or, I mean, how, how did you go, like, become diagnosed with that? I don't, like, there's showings, I guess, or indications of mental health stuff back in my family, but never anything that actually anyone got uh, diagnosed with. But I actually, I was diagnosed because um, my performance at work, I guess, had been slipping. And then I, I had gone through a breakup and I um, was crying basically in my machine and someone went to give me a signal and I wasn't, wasn't reacting, I guess. So they um, looked at me and I was crying and it had happened a couple times within a recent history of that. So they were like, we don't feel safe working with this guy. We don't know what's going on with him, but uh, oh, wow. so that's kind of how it came, you know, a project manager and my superintendent and stuff were like, okay, well, we're going to put you on a medical leave and go find out what's going on. And I actually, I ended up in an outpatient program for about four weeks at one of the hospitals here in Edmonton and kind of got diagnosed as bipolar and got some coping mechanisms and stuff with that. So, wow. Wow. That's a huge, I mean, that's got to be just a huge kind of shock, right? That you're, I don't know, you probably, did you see it coming? I guess like, that's such a weird question, I guess, but. Well, I had like, I had always chalked, I had been, always been like sad and stuff, but I had chalked it up to, I listened to a lot of what people would call, I guess, emo music when I was younger. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it was like, oh, well, I listen to sad music. I'm a sad kid, whatever. And I never kind of correlated that it could be an actual mental health issue, I guess, per se. So yeah. I was like, oh, I just listen to sad music. That's who I am. I'm a sad kid. And then uh, as I got older and wasn't a sad kid anymore, I was like, okay, maybe this is something else. And then, like I say, that happened. And that's kind of when I, I got my diagnosis and started on my long journey to controlling my bipolar disorder so wow so when you were approached by your work were they good I guess were they were they good with it or were they kind of like you need to go like I don't know were they kind of open to getting you help and did you feel open to get help or were you um kind of in denial about it I honestly feel like it was a uh like a weight lifted off my shoulder when it came around like at first, I was like, well, no, I can work. I need to work, blah, blah, blah. Yes. And then as I got diagnosed and started my journey to recovery, I was like, oh, well, this is actually, you know, this has been a really good thing for my yeah. life. So, yeah. And was this diagnosis, was this event really the thing that kickstarted your journey to the projects that you work on and sort of the advocacy work that you do? The diagnosis wasn't it actually the Kickstarter for that was um, I was approached I guess in 2018, right before Oil Heartbreak came out by my best friend who is a journalist and was like, yeah, one of my old editors at uh, whatever magazine he had worked with is doing this feature and he's asking about, you know, he's looking for someone that deals with mental health and works in oil and gas. And I was like, okay, well, I'll give him my number. I'll talk to him, whatever. And it just kind of, I thought it was going to be a one-off interview 
and I did the interview and then the real Kickstarter was when Bell contacted me and asked me to go out to Montreal and become an actual friend of Bell Let's Talk and I was like well this obviously you know it's got some bearing and if I can make a difference in some people's lives with this then I am more than willing to do that um unfortunately mental health is something that really doesn't get talked about a lot in traditionally male industries and so basically somebody had to do it and I guess had to be that guy so (laughs) I mean I I personally know um at least one person whose life was saved by the bell let's talk so that's a huge um I mean that's so important for you to be able to go there and talk about mental health in more of a male dominated industry where like you said it's not talked about or it's joked about or it's you know people are shamed maybe because of how they're acting so for you to be able to be that voice and to advocate for for those people is huge thank you I appreciate that it's so important you know and and like you said mental health isn't talked about and I mean maybe it's getting better and I feel like there are a lot more people who are open to talking about it which is really good but it's it could still be better right Oh, absolutely. There's a long way to go. There's actually one of the news stations here in Edmonton did a feature earlier this week on Facebook about uh, the camp lifestyle and how it affects families and stuff. And I couldn't even read the comments that were coming from people on there. Just like it was based on mental health and the camp lifestyle and how it affects families and people. And I couldn't read the comments. They were so negative. And I was like, well, looks like all the progress I've made is just yeah. to kick in the can I got to get going more so still have a long way to go yeah wow. yeah and exactly that, so you were a machine operator is that- yes crane, crane yes op- sorry crane operator <laughs> and so was that your experience um sort of working in that industry was that your experience with the mentality around sort of like the whole I don't know grow a pair act like a man mm-hmm. don't talk about your feelings Um, well, I grew up in a small town. I grew up in Hannah and it was kind of right from, right from the get go, because that's a very oil and gas, coal mining, farming and ranching community. It's always, it's very, you know, you're masculine right from kid there. So between growing up there and then, yeah, a lot of the work that I did running crane was in the oil sands and, you know, completions on oil leases and stuff. So it was very, very masculine, um, macho work so it would that's where it was you know that's where I was really exposed to the you know man up you go to work you you know you go back to camp you eat supper you go to sleep you do it again type thing so yeah and at no point do you talk about your feelings yeah yeah no you don't talk about your feelings no that's and what about growing up yeah so if you grew up in Hannah like you said from the get-go was your family um very sort of I, I hate using the word traditional in that sense but like were they were they subscribed to that same mentality? Um, I was definitely my mom's side of the family. Not really. My dad was, he worked at the power plant there and he was very, you know, I grew up playing hockey and football and all kinds of stuff like that. So it wasn't, it didn't come from family so much as it just came from the community so small that it's everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's business. So yeah. When it comes to men's mental health and the fact that a lot of men, not all men, but a lot of men have families and to support or obviously that's more pressure to work and to be okay and to not be quote unquote sick or have a mental health crisis. Like, so 
can you see that as a huge, um, I guess, issue when it comes to men seeking help? Absolutely, it is. A lot of a, what a man's identity is and tied up is tied up in his work and how he provides for his family. And so, it's very much a what am I going to do if I have if this happens and somebody finds out and I'm judged about it and can't work anymore thought process. I mean, I've had that thought process myself when I didn't have a family. And so now that I have a family, even though I'm aware of my mental health and, you know, advocate for this, it's still a, it's a thought process that goes on in the back of your mind. It's like, well, how am I going to provide for my family and how are people going to look at me because of this? So. Yeah. What was, what was your experience going back to work after getting that diagnosis? Did you go back to the same company, same job? Yes, I did. Um, Going back was basically they didn't tell anybody why I had taken leave for so long. So only really the management knew. And they were, they were, you know, they were supportive of it. I wouldn't say that the, the field supervision that knew was as supportive, but the like upper management was. And I had, I was lucky enough that I had been with the company for a while and had built a sort of a rapport with, um, with the management and stuff that they were willing to give me the opportunity to come back but I feel like that I was kind of an anomaly in that way so right yeah and how sorry how long ago this was 10 years ago uh yeah 10 or 11 years ago now Yeah, yeah so I think like I think that's such a sign of even then how progressive it was you know, even to 20 years or 10 years before that, Mm -hmm. um, like you might've just been fired and told to man up or get the hell out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, like not to say that there's not still so much work to do, but, um, that's really good that 10 years ago you had a company that, you know, supported you and, and yeah. yeah, took you back. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, they, there's kind of a saying that, uh, the, kind of workplace culture um dealing with like safety and mental health is and it's basically it falls into a 20-year cycle so you can make something a policy five years later it gets implemented in the field after 10 years you have one unheard message hi i was calling current the influencer marketing platform but i think i just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This, the culture starts to change and after 20 years it's fully changed and becomes the norm so you're looking at that now with like the normal like oh you have to wear fall protection and you have to have training for all sorts of safety things so that was 20 years ago like i started 15 years ago in the trades and but so 20 years ago it was when they started implementing things and 15 years ago yeah there was it was night and day to what it is now for physical health. And so if you think about it, I the catalyst for me was 10 years ago, and that wasn't even the catalyst for the industry um, as a whole. So we're, you know, we're probably at about year three or four right now with actually paying attention to it in the industry. Right. Wow. 
Um, and working on a site, can you see some changes that have been implemented um, currently when it comes to mental health? Like, is has there been um, a shift, I guess, in the culture at work? There has been. Um, a lot of hearts and minds have opened up about it recently. And so I know some of the um, labor organizations and stuff have a mental health first aid course that they're starting to roll out and give to like upper line supervision and stuff now to kind of start the process. And right, so, yeah. so that the, they can look for signs and things like that. Exactly. It's kind of a, you know, trickle down um, from there type thing, right? If you get the yeah. top level trained and get them to buy in, then it's easier to get it to the masses in the field. So. Yeah. Wow. wow. And do you think that's how it starts? Like, how do we get to a place where, especially within those industries, it's no longer, I don't know, taboo or a problem or... That it's just the same as a, a physical safety course, that there's some sort of mental health safety as well. Uh, it actually has to start above that even. It has to come from the government down. That's right. yeah. sadly the only way in this province that it's going to get through the heads of the of the owners of these um companies the oil companies and stuff mm -hmm. is if they're legislated to do it so my, that's my opinion personally of course but um yeah the, it has to come from the from the top top down so it has oh, to be legislated okay. through ohs and it has to there has to be mandates in place for it so yeah since your um bipolar diagnosis until now have you found that you've um come into roadblocks when it comes to your own mental health and um, being able to seek or, or I guess receive the help or receive the medication things like that like have you kind of run into any roadblocks in that way uh no luckily for me because I was hospitalized to get my diagnosis mm -hmm. I just stayed with my psychologist the whole time mm -hmm. and so because of that I haven't had the roadblocks of, that a lot of people have of getting a psychologist and getting profession access to professionals which I know is a kind of a big issue right now is that there's not enough psychologists to address the need right so yeah. for myself there wasn't really that many roadblocks the biggest roadblock I've had so far is that my psychologist actually retired this year uh -huh. so I got lucky that way and not a lot of people are as lucky as I was so yeah absolutely yeah I, it, think, yeah I think too um a guy that we went to high school with has been really uh, vocal on social media about the struggle of adults in Canada getting access to mental health from a financial standpoint too, mm -hmm. because, you know, like from my own experience, I know that I'm fortunate to have my own company benefits as well as my partner's benefits. And so we have say collectively $1,500 a year for psychology, but like a psychologist is $200 an hour. Yeah. You know, and that like barely covers just a few basic visits. And so I think there there seems to be a recognition of a shift needs to be, you know, making it more accessible to people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it does. That's getting access to it. One, there's not enough. It's not made open enough. Like they don't advertise yes. the numbers yeah. that you can call and the resources available. And so sadly, when you're when you're in a state of depleted mental health, you don't have the energy to search those things up and find the resources like they need to be it needs to be made more openly available that they exist so that when you're in that state you know and then um yeah the other part of the struggle is what i advocate for and what i where i t hope to take cj beats bipolar with 
is that at current, um, as far as my knowledge that I've of the research I've done, there is no WCB compensation to retrain a person who is unable to do their job anymore because of their mental health. Wow. Yeah, that's that's huge, hey? So yeah, like if I cut my hand off, WCB would pay for me to go to school to learn a new something that I could money for my family, right? But, yeah, yeah. So because I have bipolar disorder and I, I am aware enough to realize, oh, I maybe need to change, look at changing industries here in the next mm-hmm. little bit. There's no monetary help for that available to me, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're just kind of going out on a ledge and hoping that it will work out for you because you don't have any sort of um, backing or financial support to help you. Exactly. And so that's what I hope to do through my work with CJ Beats Bipolar is eventually start a foundation and a trust where if people need to retrain because Mm -hmm. um, their mental health is unfortunately not allowing them to work in in the oil and gas industry anymore or the trades industries anymore. I would like to be able to support them in some way. When when we were kids, we were all growing up, we knew block parents and kids help phone were both resources yeah. available. Yeah. But for some reason, because we're adults, we're expected to or we're not given those opportunities to be like, Oh, this is available, this is available, this is available. Yeah. We're not told about it. And that's that's a real issue. It is. Yeah. Oh my and gosh. I used to be able to recite the kids help phone. <laughs> I would say it to my mom when she was being mean to me just to like, I don't know, scare her off. Kids help phone. <laughs> yeah. I think there is such a push with kids, but then yeah, once you, once you're over 18 and you're not on your, you know, parents insurance and you, you know, it's suddenly a much scarier task to try and find access yeah. to the help. My own sort of negative experience with and only negative I think be in the system they have in place when I left um, an abusive marriage I was given through victim services um, a bunch of resources but it was very I think the flaw in the system is that you know I qualified for six sessions with a counselor at the women's health center but then once I used those up they couldn't see me anymore so then I needed to utilize a different organization I could get three sessions with but it took three sessions just to catch them up on what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder about, you know, there's all this talk about defunding the police and that just looks like reallocating services. And I just wonder if, you know, we put more stock into mental health services for people mm-hmm. in a more seamless way rather than just like, oh, this organization. You're bouncing this around. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel like the allocation of mental health resources could be done better and you know like you say it takes a while to establish the trust especially in a situation like that to open up to a counselor and then all of a sudden they're like well your six sessions are done Uh yeah we can't you know (laughs) so and then so it is it's very very difficult and that's you know i'm i haven't really expressed it i keep my opinion to myself about it but i guess this is as good a time as any to express it you know i i fully support reallocating police funds to you know send a mental health send a psychologist or a counselor on a call with a with an officer to like a mental health call or something you know send someone that has the sensitivity training yeah absolutely yeah and i think it's so important to say like the police have such a critical and important job and it's not about having 
less police, you know, and like having some sort of like free run, everybody <laughs> save themselves society. It's about, yeah, having the opportunity to have one police officer with a social worker or with somebody who, mm-hmm. you know, maybe has more access to resources that that the police just don't have access to or have the knowledge with. Absolutely. Exactly. Like one of my best friends is a cop and I love the guy to death. So I'm not, you know, I'm not about, oh, take the police voices away. But Edmonton just bought a $500,000 armored vehicle. Like, oh, maybe we could, maybe we could have put that money to hiring counselors to go to these mental health calls and like, what, like what that? I was going to say, they need an armored vehicle. What does Edmonton know that we don't? <laughs> What's happening? Well, I'm sure you guys have one too, but like wow. our previous one was like 1970s something. So we just got a new fancy one. Wow. And I'm sure they haven't used it since 1970. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Actually, well, Edmonton's, Edmonton's like you guys are viewed as the white collar part of um right. Alberta and Edmonton's the blue collar so we do have you know we've got some problems but not enough that that take that need an armored vehicle so yeah and also how many of those problems would be fixed if we had more mental health services right like mental health and social services like a lot of it is social services too right so absolutely and I think it's you know it sort of goes down this rabbit hole because it's so multifaceted because Mm -hmm. I think you know to Michelle's point you're right if we had more access to mental health and it wasn't so stigmatized to be a negative then it would be better but even going further into that the families that are raising that raised our generation I just assume we're about the same age mm-hmm. they raised us to think like boys don't cry grow a pair yeah don't cry like a girl you know all of these horrible sayings you know like exactly. my own, my own dad has said that to my nephews mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm just like, I'm the, I'm the one that will just say, say something because I think if we don't advocate for these little people now, I don't want my nephew, you know, they play hockey and they're rough and tumbly and, you know, I never for a second want them to feel ashamed to cry. Mm -hmm. Um, I never want them to hesitate to talk about their feelings. I always want to be a safe person for them to confide in, you know, so it like, it starts, it's so interesting because the people that raised you, for example, you know, were raised by people that it was this like mentality of like, you know, be a man, provide for your family. Yeah. Don't talk about your feelings. Be That's strong. girl stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So just, you know. Yeah. It feels like the weight of the world to have little people in our lives that, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to do right by. Exactly. And that's where it ultimately has to start. And I think that's where society is hitting a big roadblock is that it is how we, how we raise our children is how the next generation is going to view this stuff. And so, you know, if we are raising our children with phrases like, oh, man up and be a man, that mentality is going to continue. And so we need to, you know, open up and encourage them to be sensitive and to speak about their feelings. And, you know, and I mean, it's, it's full disclosure. It's hard for me when my kids are crying and stuff because I'm so that's how I was raised and that's yeah, the industry yeah. that I come from that I have to consciously be like, okay, you can't have your normal reaction to this. You have to change your thinking about it. And so that's, you know, adults need to be willing and able to change their thinking on how they deal with these things, that especially is- with children. 
Yeah. yeah, that's such a powerful point. Like, I think we are this generation where it is uncomfortable for us, but mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge that it's more critical to be uncomfortable in order to affect change to the younger generation mm-hmm. than it is to just be comfortable and, you know, shut because, it down. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And- one, of, one of the big things we sort of advocate at my at the financial firm I'm training with is like self growth. And getting out of your comfort zone and unfortunately people love to live in their comfort zone and people need to get out of their comfort zone in so many ways but especially in how they are talking and addressing their children yes yeah Yeah. and it's hard i mean being a parent and being uh, you know grieving and things like that with what i'm experiencing it's very hard to kind of put that aside and um, deal with your children in, in a different way and to be conscious of the words that are coming out of your mouth and maybe a moment of kind of frustration or, you know, things like that, right? Where, where you're angry and you just kind of say something and then you realize like, crap, I shouldn't have said that. And I guess the lesson there is to just talk to your kids after and have them understand that, you know, grownups make mistakes and we shouldn't have said what we said. And this is why it's important to say it a different way or to approach a situation differently so that they know that um, they weren't just kind of yelled at and, and told something that maybe will damage them later in the future. Oh, exactly. And that's, you know, be, being able to revisit it later once you've realized you made a mistake is a huge step. And so that's something, that's something, again, that a lot of people don't like to admit they made a mistake and they were wrong, but especially when dealing with children needs to be normalized. Yeah. Yes. I remember, I don't know why this just made me think of it, um, watching Full House and, <laughs> <laughs> and have, seeing those scenes where, you know, the high pitched music starts and Danny crouches down to, I don't know, Stephanie's have a one-on-one. level. And, yeah. They have this like tender moment of reflection. And I remember as a kid thinking like, okay, that's stupid. Like, because that wasn't my experience and that didn't feel normal to me. And like, I don't know. I, like, I don't know how many families actually did that, but you know, that is sort of the way that we should go. And that's yeah. sort of like, you've got to own your stuff. And because if your dad actually came into your room and did that, you'd be like, uh, get out of here. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> Maybe if somebody was playing a violin nearby, I'd feel better about it. But yeah, it's just like, it's just such a crazy. The other thing I was thinking of um, was how many commercials I've seen or advertisements of empowering girls to like, what's that? I don't know. I don't even know what they're advertising to be honest, but it's like, show Body me what positivity it's, well, it's like, show me what it's like to run like a girl, show me what it's like to hit like a girl. And, and sort of the message behind it is girls can be strong and powerful and like hitting like a girl isn't a negative thing. It's a powerful thing, but I haven't seen as much for as, boys. I mean, maybe I'm just not the target demographic, but I haven't seen as much advertising and, and social media campaigns about boys and men and being vulnerable and talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just like my little no, I, observation. I agree. You, Chris, can that's you... Absolutely. It's absolutely... It's an observation I've never really thought of until now. Like, now that you pointed out, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> but, yeah, it's... um, We live in a world where, you know, of female empowerment, and that's an amazing thing. But... Yeah female empowerment doesn't have to come at the expense of maintaining the status quo with males. Like if we're going to empower females then we should also normalize the feelings of, you know, with males as far as, you know, feeling 
yeah vulnerable and feeling you know inadequate or whatever and realize and normalize you know it's okay to feel that way and there's things available to can help you you know i feel like we're we're only focusing on one of the genders and so man i'm like fired up about this right now that i've just like and i think you know like it is so important for women girls like females to have that shift but like yeah i feel and maybe we just haven't seen it maybe it's happening somewhere else in the world but yeah there needs to be this simultaneous shift yeah of talking to boys and men about mental feeling health strong. and being vulnerable. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so true. When you're we talking about kind of the generations before us, it, it just made me think like it almost just took like one generation to kind of have this mentality of men need to be strong, men need to man up, they need to support their families. And it's going to take so many more to reverse it, you know, that we're just kind of dipping our toes into it and trying to get that messaging out that you know, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to be sad if you're, you know, either gender, right? Yeah. Or or non-gender. And it's such a an important message, but that how many generations after us is it going to take for it to actually be like a real thing, you know, where we're yeah. not fighting for it anymore, that it's just normal. Yeah. Well, like, again, making the assumption you guys are around my same age, I'm 34. Yeah, we're 34. If you think about it, we're one generation away from World War II. Like yeah. my grandfather fought in World War II. So as much as respect I have for those people that went and sacrificed the ultimate the ultimate sacrifice for our country and stuff, you need to we're only one generation removed from sending your 17-year-old kid overseas to fight again to fight for freedom. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the mentality of that is still very you know, that's a very masculine mentality and it needs to be because of what happened, but at the same time we're only one generation removed from that, so we have to be the catalyst to start something else. And I mean, we also need to prepare them for the mental struggles and the emotional struggles. Like, look at the soldiers coming back now and the yes. PTSD and the, yeah. you know, we need, to, we need to normalize the mental part of that sort of stuff and not just the physical part. I mean, I think it starts with the industry you know, and then, yeah. you know, it grows from there. And, you know, even for us, like, I don't know anything about trades and the mental health within that, but I know about, you know, being an adult influence in young boys' lives. And so it starts, you know, that's the piece that I can do. What is kind of your biggest messaging when it comes to men's mental health in the, like the oil fields and and the uh, trade industry? My biggest advocacy point that I speak about all the time is just to open up and have a conversation with somebody that you trust um be it somebody that you know that you trust or um someone that has no vested interest so phone a support uh phone number or you know talk to a counselor or something that has, doesn't know you and doesn't have a, uh, an opinion of you to judge from mm-hmm. or someone that you're close enough to that you trust and just to have that conversation is the most freeing thing that you can do to start your journey to mental health because it just feels like a weight has been lifted off your shoulders that somebody else can now feel your pain and understands what you're going through. Yeah. And I think that's such, I mean, what you're doing and even just talking about it is such a huge, uh, deal that you know for you to be able to be open to the people in your industry about how uh, your mental health has affected your life and how you've been able to get help that will help other people 
exactly. The more it's visible and the more they have somebody to relate to that can be like, oh, this guy's just like me. Like mm-hmm. how I approach it with a lot of like the older people, I guess, mm-hmm. the generation that's not really into it is that I, I relate it back to my job performance, you know, do, am I good at what I do? You know, conversation, conversations like, well, by the way, this is, this is what I have and this is who I am. And they kind of are like, oh, so these people, you know, they can be great at what they do and just have this other thing going on, right. you know, right. so. Yeah. Um, what has been, I'm curious about your experience because uh, before we started recording, you talked about um, how you have four kids and you made reference to them going to see their bio dad. So does that make them your stepkids? Yes, I have four stepkids. And so what's been, what has it been like for partner? And so like, is your partner really on board with that whole, with the whole mentality of discussing mental health? My wife does also, you know, she has mental health that she deals with as well. So we're very, we're very, very open with the kids here about it. Um, We're very honest with the kids here about it. Our our 12 year old sees a counselor on the regular, like, We make it, it's not a not normal thing. Like he goes and sees a counselor. And I mean, yeah. our 10 year old, we've talked about getting him to see the counselor too. So, yeah, you I, know, if, if you, again, going back to, if you normalize it when they're children, then it's not a big deal when they're adults. So a hundred percent. I remember seeing a counselor as a kid and it was very hush hush, not talked about, yeah. you know, you do, you just pretended it wasn't really happening, mm-hmm. you know, and now like with talking about even Michelle's kids like we talk about it I mean we talk about it on the podcast we'll talk about it while the kids are in the room like oh yeah I saw my therapist you know we just and they go to counselors yeah. as well and, and we talk about it as yeah. if it's just like that's Normal. just what you do yeah you know you go to the doctor to make sure you're okay you go to the dentist to make sure your teeth are okay yeah so of course you go to the to a psychologist or you know a mental health professional yeah to make sure that your mental health is okay exactly um, do you have any projects that you're working on currently? Um, I have a few on the go. Like I say, I'm trying to start that foundation to give financial help to people that want to move from the trades into another career path. Yeah. Um, I also, my band Form 10 does a lot of, a lot. we do a lot of mental health work um, between myself and what I advocate for. And the fact that, you know, one of the people in our band is, used to be an emergency nurse and two of them are first responders. It's definitely something that's near and dear to our hearts. So we do a lot of, we do a lot of advocacy through the band um, with that as well. And then there's a couple things going on as far as I can't talk too much about them, but there is to lobby, starting to develop policies to lobby to the government to get like what I talked about earlier, where it needs to trickle down from the top. We're starting to, get policies in place and get lobby groups set up to start doing that. So those are kind of the things I'm, I'm, I'm working with right now. So. Oh, wow. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. The work you're doing is very important. Thank you. Yeah. We, yeah. As soon as we came across your Instagram, we were like, Oh Lord, like we have got (laughs) to get this guy because like, and it is just such a, I mean, it goes to show like we are actively seeking out, men with stories who are open to talking about mental health and like you know we've been looking for a while and that just goes to show either people decline to be interviewed or we don't hear back yeah so that just goes to show like you know you're you're just doing such important work and we're starting to normalize you know slowly but surely mental health in men and the importance of yeah just 
advocating for it. Yeah. Like I say, if you guys watch the documentary on CBC Gem, Digging in the Dirt, there is, I think there's four or five of us in there that are all willing and open to talk about it. So there's a few other people that are out there, but like you say, a lot of people either keep it to themselves or I guess aren't willing to put themselves out there that way, even though at this point I've, you know, I've been as low as I ever want to be in my life and I'm on my way up and I want to share that with somebody with people. And I also, you know, I have, I'm retraining in a career and so I have a path out and I have another, and a lot of people don't, don't have that as well. And that's another reason they don't want to stir the pot. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Chris. Well, thank you so much. We'll put links to all of your social medias for people to check you out and um, see sort of follow along with the work, the important work that you're doing. I appreciate that. Thank you. Awesome. Well, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. No kids. It's going to be great. <laughs> Have a nap. Take a Sounds so yeah. quiet. <laughs> yeah. We are just going to feed Michelle's five kids now. Yeah. So, well, we'll let you go and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds great. You guys don't be, don't hesitate to reach out if you ever need to talk about anything. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. much. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye, bye now. Michelle. <clears throat> hey. Um, it's funny having Lindy here. Normally we don't have a, we don't always have another adult. It's true. While we're recording. Um, and I can hear her out there like getting things done. I know. I love it. Yeah. You Um, are hired. (laughs) Um, plus there's one less child out there. So it does make it a little easier. Yeah. Um, what a great episode. Yes. Chris, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. It's really interesting because like we don't only interview women because that's our plan, but mm-hmm. like it is actually hard to find mm-hmm. men with stories to tell that they're they're willing to be vulnerable enough or open enough to tell their stories. Yes. Um, or I find if there are men out there telling their stories, they have like 18 billion followers and are famous. And yeah. Like we're just small potatoes. Um, is that the word small potatoes? Small. It, just, it just makes me think that we're just like. We're just like chunky potatoes, like in a field, and nobody cares about us. I mean, it's not far off. Where's the lie? Oh my gosh. Guys, thank you so much for listening today. If you're not already, please follow us on social media. Not in real life. That's creepy. We can be found on, I almost said Twitter. We're not on Twitter. No, Maybe we don't this do one, Twitter. We need to script this part. We're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I did not sign up for this. We have a Facebook group that we're interacting with folks on Mm -hmm. episodes. um, And it is under, I did not sign up for this. The group is called, I did not sign up for this group. (laughs) So literally. Just to confuse you. Sign up for it. Um, And. We're on Patreon. We're on Patreon. So if you want over 18 bonus episodes. And if you want swag. If you want. Um, our more juicy personal stories mm-hmm. get onto patreon you can just go to patreon.com slash i did not sign up for this absolutely but and then, again like, actually sign oh, up for exactly it. um again thank you to chris what you're yeah. doing is amazing and i mean keep talking about it and keep sharing your story because you are saving lives yeah yeah and don't forget to use our hashtag i did not sign up for this pod if you've got anything going on in your day that you did not sign up for and tag us so we can share yeah tia's great uh tia posted on instagram that her kid washed the couch with an entire bottle of dish soap oh god i don't even know do you just throw it out <laughs> the what the kid or the couch i don't know <laughs> 
Tia, what happened? What was the end result? I don't know how I would handle that. No. All right, guys. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.